Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, John Garcia, the recruiting Jedi Master for Sports Illustrated. John, are you as ready for the weekend as I am? <laughs> I am. I am. I think we're going to learn a lot about uh, a lot of these schools here down the home stretch the carousel is nuts recruiting i mean it's it's crazy during the week so yes when we can just actually watch some college ball i think all is well yeah yeah and it's it's actually a pretty relaxed weekend as far as matchups go uh outside of texas playing west virginia you know a lot of the sec teams are, are facing fbs F, is it fcs fcs squads or uh or kind of you know lower tier games i think the one the one decent game is Arkansas and uh, Alabama, which I honestly don't think is going to be very close at the end. But, um, you know, it, it, it'll be a nice weekend for us to play catch up. That's for sure. Yeah, certainly in, in the SEC footprint and the, the Big 12 footprint, not as not as dicey. There's there's some good matchups. But, yeah, it's not the craziness that we've seen in weeks past, although these are the weeks, Matt, where you don't think something's going to happen. And then, boom, a big bomb drops. So. Uh, you never you never could be too safe or too sure. So we'll see. Yeah, I think the game that I'm circling for uh, my upset special of the week is SMU over Cincinnati. Um, and there's a couple other ones out there, but I think that's that's the one that I've really kind of circled on my uh, on my picks list. But we'll see how that goes. Um, all right. So obviously we'll stop beating around the bush here. Texas is coming off of. Maybe the worst loss the program has had since the Mac Brown era. Um, if not the worst, it's pretty close. Um, they ended up falling in overtime to Kansas. I believe the score was 57 to 56. Kansas got out to a huge lead. I think it was 35 to 14 at one point. Texas came storming back. Actually had a chance to win the game on a Brendan Schooler dropped interception. Um had they won it on that play, they certainly would not have deserved the win based on the way they played for the rest of the game. 
Um, and Kansas ended up going for two after scoring a touchdown. And then, you know, they converted it to a, uh, a walk-on guy who, you know, I think it was his first uh, catch as a, as a collegiate player. So that was pretty special. Talk about not him, being in the scouting report, slipping through the cracks. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah. So, you know, obviously devastating loss for Texas. Now they have to, um, you know, went out on these last two to get bowl eligibility, which is something we didn't really think was in jeopardy that long ago. Um, and West Virginia is not going to be a cakewalk. Neither is Kansas state. So what are your impressions of the game on Saturday and going forward for Texas? Yeah, this was, this was one of those scores that you kind of double taped throughout Saturday. And, and it was really at the time where there was a lot of big games going on. Right. Ole Miss and it just it, it felt kind of frantic. But you kind of for me, I, I kept kind of saying, like, wait, Kansas scored again. Kansas scored again. Kansas scored again. My, my takeaways were. Look, this this defense and the front seven in particular, we've been talking about it on this show. Right. The front seven in particular, um, it just it looks worn down. It looks tired. It's missing tackles. The effort looks questionable at times and there are some plays where whether it was uh you know Jalen Daniels the Kansas quarterback or Devin Neal the running back where it was like okay that's a three-yard gain and then boom it's like a 30-yarder you know it it just it was a Murphy's Law defensive effort from the Longhorns and uh, it was uninspired I thought a couple guys tried I mean you, you mentioned Shuler's dropped pick, but I thought he was kind of the flash player if there was one on the defense. You know, Kansas didn't chuck it down the field very much. They were efficient. You know, they only completed uh, 200 yards worth of passes. Uh, so they were basically playing the stick. So you knew it was all about stopping Daniels and, and trying to stop Devin Neal. And, and Texas still couldn't play up to that. So defensively, extremely disappointing and basically – every way, shape, or form, from the plan to execution to the little things to the big things, I thought. Um, and then offensively, look, the blindside pass protector had a rough game. Uh, I think that that goes without saying. The left tackle um, and, and Kansas just made some of those plays in the margins, to which is what you have to do as an underdog. They played, they played the margins extremely well, took advantage of their opportunities, uh, that that Texas presented and and offensively Texas was kind of fine in this game and I, I think the turnovers were the major um, you know turning point for the most part especially the pick six there at the end of the first half I thought that was it felt like a dagger at the time but uh, Texas's offense was able to bounce back I think if you can take anything away from a loss which has kind of been the theme for the last few weeks, I don't know how many in a row this is for Texas, but it's quite a few. We know Casey Thompson's the guy now, right? I mean, I don't think there's any, is there, I mean, you're, you're closer to, to, to the 40 acres. Is there any Hudson card camp noise or, or do we, is it kind of like, okay, we, we all know this is Casey Thompson's deal because he played a really great game. They kept talking about his thumb and all of that, um, I thought I thought he threw it well. He showed something with his legs when he needed to. Um, I thought for an injured guy to, to go 30 of 43 for 358 and six touchdowns, 
pretty darn good. Um, Xavier Worthy, we've we've talked about forever. He's, you know, he's the the hope. If there's a hope for this team, it it lies with with number eight. It seems like uh, everything he touches turns to gold. Um, but the offensive line is still a big issue, um, and obviously, Bijan Robinson's out. So. Uh, this this team is lacking in skill talent in a very, very big way. And uh, I don't know if the comfort or, or solidity in knowing who your quarterback is helps very much because both Thompson and Card were were rushed um, in some of their decision making. And, and for guys without a ton of experience, that's kind of a lot to deal with. But I thought offensively, despite the turnovers, um, they moved the ball kind of at will uh, the whole game uh, against Kansas. So I think uh, it's more of a personnel execution issue. And obviously defensively, it's, it's a burn the tape. We don't even, we don't even watch the Kansas tape. If we're Texas, we're not even watching this thing because we just need to move on. We just need to collectively move on, lick your wounds, hit the training room and get healthy and, and prepare for a, I would imagine very uh, simplified attack moving forward, not just against West Virginia on Saturday. I think moving forward, simplify the attack, allow your talent to, to just go, which means you could see more youth. You could see more personnel, more of a rotation because that defense, again, worn down by a running attack. That is not a physical running attack. This wasn't Arkansas. This wasn't Baylor uh, or even Iowa state. Like, this was Kansas. This was a finesse, very simple offense to defend. And Texas just couldn't do it. Yeah, and going back to the quarterback stuff, um, no, I mean, we, we haven't heard anything about uh, Hudson Card going forward. I mean, I think Sark was pretty clear in the press conference today. He said uh, Casey's the guy, and barring disaster, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but barring disaster, he will be the guy for the whole game. Um, it's like define disaster, Sark. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm thinking – either like three picks from Casey Thompson or an injury is probably what, what it would take to, to get Carr back in the game. But three first half turnovers for Texas is uh, is pretty hard to overcome. So, you know, that, that was really the, the crux of the game for them on offense was those turnovers. If they don't have those turnovers, we're probably talking about a different story here. And, and that's unfortunate for Texas, but I mean, going forward, look, I mean, even the athletic director, Chris Del Conte, who came to bat for Sark this past week, you know, talking about how he has faith in Sark and the program and all this stuff. Even he said there's a lack of depth in the program. And I think that was pretty evident. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, and we'll talk, we'll touch a little bit more on that later, but one of the things that is pretty shocking about this team is, you know, out of the 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes in which they were very highly rated for the Longhorns, only five players from those two classes in total have started multiple games. And I think that's a pretty big issue. Yeah, it's, it's look, to have a turnover year overlapping with the COVID year is is a lot. And look, this this is not an excuse for losing to Kansas. Maybe you can use it for some of those other teams, uh, but not not to Kansas. But look, it, it is a, a monumental hill to climb for for anybody, much less Sark, much less at a school like Texas um, in, in the time in the climate where. Everyone else, in terms of your immediate bubble, your immediate competitors, is pretty dang stable, right? Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, 
even, you know, looking ahead to the SEC, you know, those those quote unquote big boys are are rolling right along, right? Alabama, Georgia, what have you. So even even all things considered, uh, this is a team that was lacking depth. That's before you implement a new scheme. That's before you implement a new culture. That was always going to be an issue for Texas come the back half of, of this season. I think we talked about it earlier um, uh, in this season as well. It's just, it's going to pop up. You know, we, we were talking about what happens if Bijan goes down, what happens if Worthy's not available. It's just a, a matter of time in this sport um, and, and nobody's immune to it. So I think with the new rules, the portal is going to be huge for Texas. They're still bringing in a top 10 recruiting class and those kids are solid. You know, we've seen the on-field decline create dominoes with other programs, Miami, Florida, LSU, um, West Virginia has lost two kids yesterday. Um, we're not seeing that at Texas. We're not seeing that at all. Um, they, they've been able to, to bring on board uh, some solid prospects on the commitment list and they're in the running for several others. And I think the sell becomes that much more apparent for Sark and company. It's like, do I have to explain to you that we need depth at every position and that your talent could potentially lead to a role as a true freshman? I don't think that sell has to be communicated verbally. I think it's assumed at this point. And Saturday was, was kind of the reemphasis of that. Yeah, and, and Sark even said earlier this week, uh, he maybe even said it after the game. I can't remember exactly. It's been kind of a blur these last few days. But he said it recently in the last few days that they could have 33 new scholarship players on the roster next year, which means there will be turnover. That doesn't mean that 40 players are going into the portal, like I saw some people say earlier this week. That is ridiculous. That's not happening. That That's never happened anywhere. Um, it's the graduating class, the freshmen that are coming in on the commitment list, and a few guys from the portal. And look, if you look at Ole Miss, you know, they had substantial turnover as well, and they brought in some guys from the portal on defense, and it immediately solidified things for them. So that's kind of the hope that I think Texas is looking for next year through the transfer portal is, you know, bringing some guys in that can help solidify them on the defensive side of the ball immediately and give these, you know, these – incoming freshmen some time a little bit more time to grow i mean yeah a lot of them are going to play but it'll also give you a little bit you know a little bit of a band-aid in that kind of area but since we're talking about recruiting let's go there next it was a big recruiting weekend for texas cam dewberry devin campbell uh harold perkins was in town a few others um and yeah i mean look they saw the product on the field especially you know in the case of dewberry and, and campbell for example they see what happened on the field on, on Saturday and they're not discouraged in the sense that, Oh, this program's going downhill by any means. They're, they're looking at it as man, if I come here, I get to play immediately. Yep. And, and I think that's the big pitch from Sark, like you mentioned, but you know, what, what is your big takeaway from the weekend in that regard? Um, how, how does Texas keep, pushing this recruiting thing going forward, even if they don't get bull eligible, even if things start to go even more downhill for this season, 
can they can can they sustain this momentum in recruiting and and maybe you know push on these guys like Dewberry and Campbell that hey we're going to get this thing turned around and you're the pieces that are going to do that. Yeah, of course they can. You know, uh, in 11 years of doing this, Matt, a, a kid has never told me, well, hey, you know, uh, these guys weren't bowl eligible, so I'm dropping them on my list of schools. You know, the, the, the Texas targets, and we all know the big names, right? Stewart, Dewberry, Perkins, you mentioned. They, they know the deal. These are all Texans. These are all in-state kids for the most part, in terms of the truly elite targets. And Devin Brown was on campus as well. The, the quarterbacks, I mean, he even he's got to sell, right? It's like, hello, we need we need a different approach here going forward. That doesn't change with some losses, especially the way Texas has lost some of these games. Really, the only one from a scoreboard perspective they weren't really in was Iowa State, right? That one kind of got away from them scoreboard-wise. Everything else was was kind of a tight one or, you know, that that midseason trend where Texas was leading in a lot of these games, right? Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, Baylor, they had a lead. So it, it's, not, it's not one where it's been so negative and overtly dominated against to where kids are like, woof, they, they need help, but they need a lot of help. Like, it ain't just me that, that's going to come and, and fix this thing. You want to show in year one, which is it's a good time to remind everyone this is year one for Sark. You need to show that potential. Some different looks, a different culture, a different level of accountability, and show that you're a threat right out of the gate so that the cell becomes, when I get my guys, imagine what we can do. I inherited this group. Imagine what we can do when we have our group, our players, right? That's that's the the kind of concrete pitch that that you want to show in year one. Um, obviously, you don't want a what is it a five game losing streak on top of that. But you know where, where Texas was in the second quarter against Oklahoma, and the whole country was like, "Man, look at Sark! You know, look at this thing! It's." It's going. I think they were four and one or five and one at that point. That was what you needed to show in year one. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean you don't try to hit bigger goals. You obviously want to play in a bowl. You obviously want to go to the Big 12 title game. You want to go to the playoff if if they'll have you. But at a minimum, you have to compete and show those flashes and show those signs. And every kid we talk to knows Texas is doing that. So that's that's part one. Part two, most of the targets are in-state kids. Um, a lot of a lot of kids grow up in areas where it's like casual, for lack of a better term. Kids growing up in Orlando aren't seeing the the die-hard Florida Gator fan, right? They're not seeing that everywhere you go in Texas those big name brand name schools are advertised. And obviously it's still Texas state. I, I don't care what Jimbo Fisher says short term. I mean, long-term, this is a Texas state until a long stretch of time proves otherwise. So there's a, a different benefit of the doubt that a kid from Houston or Dallas 
will give Texas versus that kid from Orlando or Tampa giving the Florida Gators or Miami Hurricanes, et cetera. Just using that state as an example. So there, there's a built-in benefit of the doubt there that resonates. And I think you, you at the end of the day, don't even believe anything I've said at this point if you're that pessimistic Texas fan. Just believe this. We don't track what the kids say. We track what they do, right? You've heard the phrase, track the visits. Texas keeps getting these kids on campus, local, national, regional, all of it. They keep coming to Texas. They got a huge visitor list for freaking Kansas coming to town. That should have been what I, where I started. This my, my little rant here. Uh, Texas still pulls. We know that staff has ties everywhere. It's a national staff. They're going to close well. They're going to finish with a top 10 class. And things are going to feel different December 15th and probably sprinkled in even more come, uh, I think, February 2nd is the traditional signing day. So that is that is where Texas is. Now, when you start losing on the field and you start dropping out of the top 25 of the rankings like the Florida Gators might, that's when it's a panic. I don't think we're even close to that, talking about Texas at this point. Yeah, and one of the big misconceptions, I think, is that, you know, Texas, for everything that's happened on the field, and, and you really just hit on all of this, but for Texas, what's happening on the field pretty much has nothing to do with Sark as far as the negatives. He's done everything he can to piecemeal this roster together and, and put a productive group on the field on both sides of the ball, and it hasn't been easy. And recruits, they know that. I mean, and let's, let's go ahead and get into this. Harold Perkins, the number one linebacker in the country for all intents and purposes, um, I don't know exactly where you have him ranked as far as linebackers go. I can't remember. Not but number one, but he's close. He's definitely up there. Um, he's one of the top recruits in the country across the board. Every school wants him. Um, A&M in Texas and LSU, I think, are, are pretty much the leaders there as far as I remember. Yeah. Um, and even Perkins himself said, and this sort of threw Texas fans for a loop a little bit, but even Perkins himself said on social media, I think it was on social media, he said, I'm going to an SEC school, and Texas fans are like, oh, that means we're out. Well, no, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> Texas is going to the SEC, so that doesn't count Texas out at all. That was just some wordplay there by Perkins, I think, who's a very smart kid, by the way. He knows yes, exactly that's what a he's good doing. Point. Yeah, he's he's he knows the deal. He plays the game. Right, right. And there's a few kids like that. Evan Stewart's another one. But but look, he was on video laughing after the Kansas game, after that kid scored the, the two-point conversion. And that thing got blown way, way, way out of context. Um, I think SI National did a story about it. A few other places did a story about it. But at the end of the day, that doesn't. No, we 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 zapped the SI National one. So okay, well there there we out. go there there we <laughs> go. So and and for good reason because that is not even close to what happened. Even Perkins came out and and said, "Hey, this is ridiculous. Y'all take anything and run with it." I think it was like a a, a Bleacher Report or a you know outkick the coverage story something like that and, and he yeah consider consider your sources texas man. right yeah yeah and, and he came out and basically said this is ridiculous i wasn't laughing at texas y'all take anything and run with it um 
what what's your take on that whole situation and Harold Perkins and 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 where he may fit with this thing? Because it you know he's obviously if you watched the product on the field for Texas over the last few weeks, there's absolutely nothing that says that Harold Perkins won't come in and probably start immediately <laughs> for Texas. It's not like at A and M where they've got a you know one of the top defenses in the country or LSU where they've just got talent dripping out of the you know out of the whole thing. I mean, it's, he would start immediately in Austin. What, what's your take on that whole thing? Yeah. Like you said, if you just, you watch the game, that's, that's the position that stands out. And I'm, I'm cheating here. I'm looking back at a, at a couple of games worth of stats, Brees Hall, David Neal, Abram Smith. I'm going back here now, all 100 yard rushers against Texas with great averages, by the way right in these losses there's there's a there's a lack of twitch at the second level for texas i've tried to be nice about it most of the season on here with you it's just it just is what it is it just is what it is there's that that alpha linebacker is not on the roster today in terms of a three down modern backer that can come downhill but could also run with some of the swifter backs in the country. Uh, Texas doesn't really have that to build around. You still need that. And I think this is this year has been kind of an example, especially this this late run that uh, Texas's defense has been on. So like you said, Harold Perkins, smart kid, interesting top three, right? Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, LSU going through a coaching change. So that's that's all TBD, right? He's going to wait it out until they at least name somebody and see if there's a relationship and, and kind of go from there. If it's Aranda, I think that could be really good for LSU. Um, but with Texas, you, you know, first year staff, A&M just now starting to rise up the recruiting rankings because the on-field product, come on. Uh, the, the win over Alabama was, was phenomenal, very important, Seminole, all those things. But you've got three losses on the record that aren't, aren't anything to stand on if you're Texas a and I mean, you're not, you're not that close. You're not as close as you think, Aggie fans. Um, recruiting's going great. And they're losing a lot this offseason, too. You know, they got, I think, six guys on that defense that are leaving. So Yeah, that's probably my, my favorite. I mean, them in Georgia, my favorite D-line to watch in college football, and they're yeah, most of them are out of there. So, well, you know, we've seen that that story in the past with, with Texas A&M. My point is Perkins has three very different options and all of them have something to sell in terms of building. Like it's his, his list isn't Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. It's all kind of teams that have something to move forward with, something to aspire to. It's not established cultured programs that are 100% done and you just plug and play and you'll win a championship. None of of that exists with his top three. So I think this kid's really evaluating things. Uh, And again, he went to Texas versus freaking Kansas. So don't tell me Texas isn't in the mix here um, because the kid could go anywhere he wants to take any visit. I think that was his third or fourth trip to Austin too, just this fall. Right. So, I mean, Texas is, is going to stay right in the thick of it. Like I said, I think he waits it out and see who LSU hires. A lot of kids in Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi are, are doing similar. 
which is understandable, but uh, Texas is going to stay in the thick of it. Um, that need is huge. The offensive line need, my goodness, you know, it's, it's the easiest sell on the roster to me. Um, but when you talk about it, like a heavyweight battle for a, a kid who moves the needle, it's, it's Stewart one for Texas and it's Harold Perkins too. And they've been able to get those guys on campus relatively consistently this year. Stewart, of course, a former Texas commitment. So you're, you're still in the fight. You're not going to get all these guys, but you're not going to strike out on all these guys either. And to be four and six on the field and, and have your world collapsing as a fan, but to also know, hey, probably a top 10 class, year two under Sark, first like normal full spring where there's no transition going on, all of that, that's got to make you kind of reinforce the hope factor or the, okay, you know, this thing still has a chance to, to build up and get good. I know that's hard to see through the, the forest of social media uh, and, and knee-jerk reactions and hot takes and, and Harold Perkins laughing for two seconds, but it, it does exist. And I think um, I would still... I'd still rather have Sark there than than most other coaches at this point. It's not it's not anywhere near the uh, the panic mode, like I said, from recruiting or a football standpoint. Yeah, and we'll get into we'll get into the whole Sark thing here in the second half of this podcast. But you mentioned Stewart and Perkins, and then Campbell is probably a close third on that list. Um, Denver Harris is another one who I think they desperately need to land. Yeah, Dewberry, but, Ernest Green. Yeah, Dewberry, Ernest Green. Jalen Gilbo is now back on the market. Um, so at least that's the way it seems. So I, I think I think that one another thing Texas fans can take solace in as far as this defense is concerned is that, you know, you mentioned the defensive line has been worn down and there's no depth there. They have eight defensive line commits in the 2022 class alone. Yeah. That is a lot. Um, they are really, really investing in that area, which is probably a, a preemptive strategy for going into the SEC because they need that kind of defensive depth if they're going to survive in the SEC, and they're doing that right now. Yeah, those are the headliners, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's Finkley, it's Jamon Tapp. I mean, those are those S- are the class headliners. SI ninety nine guys. Um, by the right. way, go, go check out John's SI99 on SILAmerican.com. Plug, plug, plug. Um, but look, I mean, hey, that, that that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're investing on the defensive line. They're attempting to invest on the offensive line. I think they're going to have some good returns there. And then you, you build inside and you move out. And you hope that, yeah, we get those areas solidified. We get, hopefully we land Evan Stewart there. Hopefully we get Harold Perkins here. And then that, you know, sort of brings together what could, I don't know. I mean, you're the expert on this, but if they, let's say that Texas lands Evan Stewart, Devin Campbell, Cam Dewberry and Denver Harris. Goodness. Or not? Let's let's not say Devin Harris, Denver Harris. Let's say let's say Jalen Gilbo comes back. Let's say they get those four guys, and there's going to be other ones that that they sign to. I think they still have a few spots left after that. But let's say they get those four guys. I mean, that's close to pushing Texas into a top five class. Am I wrong? No, that would be a top five group. I think that solidify it because you've got 
you know, the 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 top three is most likely going to be like an SEC trio, right? Alabama, Georgia, AM. Although AM's got a hit on some of those same guys you mentioned. So maybe not, maybe not AM at three. Um, Ohio State's right there. And yeah, it's it's Texas, Oregon, Penn State. Those are the schools, but obviously Penn State. I mean, we got to see what what happens here in a couple of weeks with with James Franklin. So, yeah, could you imagine a top five recruiting class after a potential season where you don't make a bowl? How's that for a juxtaposition for fans? Right? It's like mm-hmm. it, it reinforces what you said. I mean, the, these the on field results in terms of win loss or a one game sample don't mean to a 17-year-old what it might mean to somebody a little bit older, a little bit more invested in the day-to-day uh, of Texas football. And, and I think that's it, – it comes up every year, you know, because there's a team every year that disappoints, right? USC recently, Texas, LSU the last couple of years. Oh, our kid's going to freak out. No, LSU's still recruiting really well, you know, and they're going to recruit well through the coaching transition. USC had like a top 15 class preseason um, with, with a theoretical lame duck coach in, in Clay Helton. And obviously that, that has changed since he was fired, but the, the, the firing changes your recruiting trajectory, not the win loss. It, it's, it's a very different feel, but yeah, Texas has a lot in front of them. Like I said, top 10 group right now, Legitimate chance for top five. You need to solidify the offensive line for sure. At least, at least two more additions. I would say one, if if it's an elite prospect like like Dewberry or Campbell, um, but you probably want two more guys there, and you need another skill guy. We, we've talked about it with the on-field product, right? You need a skill guy because we know wide receivers, running backs can come in immediately. And contribute and heck, your your star running back commit is sitting out this year anyway. So Jaden Blue, theoretically going to be quite healthy um, when, when he arrives, uh, I believe in January. So and you need some skill Miller guys. Too. Evan Stewart's out there. Um, Brandon Thompson's extremely fast. I like him as a verbal commitment. And then the other receiver, Armani Winfield, is very uh, compact. He's your reliable option. He's your chain mover. He's your counter to the blow the top off wide receiver. You need that as well. For every Devontae Smith that Sark had, he needed a, a John Mechie who was there for, for third and six over the middle. So um, I, I like Armani Winfield, kind of an underrated kid in, in my mind because he's polished. He's, he's ready to go today. Not going not gonna to be the explosion that Xavier Worthy has been, uh, but he can counter that and, and compliment him in terms of, how a defense has to line up uh, against Texas in the future. So the, the foundation is there. You just got to finish. Yeah. And look, they also probably need to land a quarterback and Devin Brown was on campus. He He's in the running at Texas and as well as a few other places. Um, you know, they have already got Malik Murphy, obviously, who's an elite talent, but he might not be ready to go immediately. So, you, you know, you, you probably want to take two quarterbacks like we've talked about uh, kind of throughout the season. Um, and, and as far as the skill guys go, you know, Jamarion Miller is another really good running back that they've got coming in. Um, and on the Armani Winfield front, you know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Van Jefferson at Ole Miss. 
um, when they had DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and then, you know, Van Jefferson in the slot, that was, that was kind of a dynamic trio right there. And that's sort of the thing that Texas can, can hope to build towards, you know, Xavier worthy, maybe they land Evan Stewart. They've got our, you know, they've got Armani Winfield. So that could be pretty special there, but let's pause there. Let's take a break, pay some bills and then go on the other side of this. We're going to talk about Sark and try to preach a little bit of patience to the Texas fan base. All right. Welcome back. Um, John, as we've kind of touched on throughout this whole, this whole podcast so far, um, and, and bear with me, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here before I hand it back over to you. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, <laughs> Texas fans are a little bit frustrated with what's going on. Um, obviously, five in a row is tough. A Kansas loss is not something that anyone expected coming into the season. And on the surface, you know, because not everybody is like us. Not everybody pays attention to the recruiting game. It's the casual fan probably doesn't know who Devin Campbell is. They probably don't know who Devin Brown is. And that's fine. Not everybody is a, a diehard football person. They just, they go to the Texas games and they watch and they see what happens and they cheer for their horns. And then they, you know, they get frustrated with the loss and they're like, oh, we still suck. But I have like, <laughs> I'm trying to find out a way to be nice about this, but listen, if you ask me and this doesn't go to everyone, you know, that this isn't Texas fan base is, is divided into kind of two groups. I think there's the casual fan who is just a casual sports fan. And then there's the diehard people who pay really close attention to everything that moves and and everything that goes on. And I think that the former of those, the casual fan is the vast majority of any fan base. Um, It's, it's, you know, the guy that, that works five days a week, goes home, doesn't turn the TV on. And then he doesn't get to turn his TV on until Saturday. And when he watches the horns lose. And those are the kind of fans, you know, that go on Facebook and say fire Sark and and burn the whole thing down and we should have never fired Herman and all this stuff. And I'm here to tell every single one of you <laughs> who feels this way that you need to take a gigantic collective chill pill. This is not burning down. This is not something that there, there, there's no concern here if you're a Texas fan. Sark is not going anywhere. He just signed a six-year contract. It would cost, first of all, it would be financially irresponsible to even consider firing Sark if you're Texas. It's a $21 million buyout. You, just, you still have to pay Herman's buyout. All that aside, Steve Sarkeesian just inherited a roster that was completely gutted before the influx of transfers in, in the spring. It was already a roster that was, you know, down on its luck. The recruiting classes hadn't worked. Recruiting is great. And you know this better than anyone, John. Recruiting is, is the lifeblood of college football. It's how you get your program to the top. 
But just because a program has a top five recruiting class does not mean it's going to work out that way. Texas is the perfect example of that. Like I said earlier in the podcast, two top five recruiting classes in 2018 and 2019, if not top five, very close. I don't remember the exact numbers, but two elite recruiting classes, five of those players had played in or started in double double digit games in Bijan Robinson's one of them. And, you know, he he's he's probably the one guy you can look at from from the last, I guess he was a 2020 recruit. Anyway, part of the 2020 class. Anyway, the point stands. There's very few guys from those classes that are even close to making an impact on the roster right now in a big way. And if you're, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you're inheriting this program. You know exactly what you have. He didn't come here thinking, oh, this is going to be a breeze. I'm going to, I'm going to walk right into a big 12 championship. Anybody who thought, that they were going to walk into a Big 12 championship is just fooling themselves. This is a team that under Tom Herman, yeah, they won four straight bowl games, but they lost a, a bunch of games they were supposed to win. Yes, yes. And, and look, it, this is something that is going to take time. It always was going to take time. There was never a, po- a point in time where it wasn't going to take time. When you bring in a new coaching staff with an entirely – new philosophy in, in every sense on both sides of the ball from the head coach to the defensive coordinator, to the special teams coach, to the freaking strength and conditioning coach, it is going to take some time to adjust. The perfect example of this is Nick Saban in Alabama. I'm not saying that Steve Sarkeesian is going to be Nick Saban and win, you know, more national championships that you can count on one hand. That's not where I'm going with this. But even in year one at Alabama with Nick Saban, the best coach in the history of college football, I think everybody would agree with that at this point, they lost to ULM. And I don't believe that game was close, was it? I don't remember. Either way, it was Louisiana Monroe. And look where they are now. Because Alabama fans, as much as they could be, were patient after that first year because they showed signs before Twitter. It was also before Twitter. So that helped, <laughs> but they showed signs of progress. They lost a bunch of close games. They won some games and that's what Texas has done this year. Four of their five losses out of this losing streak are to ranked teams They also lost to a ranked team in Arkansas. Three of those losses are to teams in the top 12 of the college football playoff rankings. And every single one of those games outside of Arkansas, they had a lead, a double-digit lead. Against Iowa State, they had a a 7-3 to lead going into the half. Against Arkansas, you know, they had that muff punt at the beginning of the game and – things just didn't go their way. And maybe if they score on that, we're talking about a different result there. If they started Casey Thompson, the point is they are still at four and six, a handful of plays away from being what six and two, maybe if, if we're, if we're being rational about this. So, I mean, the sky is not falling. 
you need to give this guy time to get his culture in place, to get his recruits in place. Do you think that Sark envisioned throwing passes to, you know, Kelvante Dixon, no disrespect to him, but do you think he envisioned throwing passes to Kelvante Dixon in the fourth quarter of, of a game where they're fighting for bowl eligibility in the second half of the season? No, that's not where he, that's not the kind of personnel that he wants in the field at that point in the game. You're only throwing to Kelvante Dixon because you're, you lost Josh Moore to the transfer portal. Jordan Winnington's hurt. They're blanketing Xavier Worthy. I mean, look, this program was never close. It had Herman stayed, it's probably the same result. He just was lucky enough to get out while the getting was good. And now he's probably going to be a head coach somewhere next year, maybe at a power five job like Washington. And yeah, there's some young guys in this roster that have some talent. Jordan Whittington's one of them. He's actually coming back this week, which could be huge for the Texas offense. Um, Xavier Worthy, Bijan Robinson is still a sophomore, you know. And then on the defensive side of the ball, do you really think Pete Kwiatkowski's ideal middle linebacker? And again, no disrespect to this kid because he plays his heart out and he's a really great kid or young man, however you want to put it. And Luke Brockermeyer, but he got torched by Kansas. He he was not, he, no player is ever single-handedly responsible for anything. But he was a big reason why they lost that game because he was missing tackles and he was getting out run outs on the corners and he was he was doing everything wrong. And, and God bless his heart, he was trying. But those are all the players that were left to Sark to deal with in, in this team in, in a Big 12 conference that this is probably the best the Big 12 has been in the last few years. I mean, when's the last time we had, you know, three borderline college playoff, college playoff football contenders in, in the Big 12? I can't remember it. It's always been Oklahoma and everybody else. And that's it. <laughs> yep. And, and now you have – Oklahoma State, you have Baylor, you have Oklahoma. You know, Iowa State is still a good football program, although I don't think Matt Campbell is going to be there much longer. These are all things that you have to consider when you're looking at Texas and, and think, hey, you know, this was always going to be a project. As brilliant as Sark is, as brilliant as his staff is, Kyle Flood didn't forget how to coach the offensive line. Okay. Pete Kwiatkowski didn't forget how to coach defense. You know, these are all things that Texas fans have to take into consideration. I know a Kansas loss is difficult. It's embarrassing. But the last time you played Kansas was in Austin, and Tom Herman won 50-48 to 48 on some miracle stuff from Sam Ellinger. So they almost lost to Kansas too. So take a deep breath, relax, wait for this thing to play out, give it two or three years because it's not going to be fixed next year either because you're going to be playing a bunch of freshmen and transfers. It's going to get better. I have no doubt it's going to get better. But you're looking at 2023, 2024, before you start seeing really seeing the fruits of your labor if you're a Texas fan from Sark. And I think that everybody needs to, to take that into consideration before they start jumping down this guy's throat over a roster that was just not it. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> Your thoughts, Mr. Garcia. <laughs> no, you're you're right. I mean, this is I, I, I hinted at it earlier. 
this is year one. This is your one transition year. Not as guys, a lot's going to change into the future. It has to. He knows that above, above all else. You don't take Texas job, the Texas job and say, okay, go, you know, all the chips are in year one. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And we failed. You know, that's, that's not the plan. Texas has been down for a, a long time. And that's relative to Texas, not expectation or Sam Ellinger saying we're back or any of that stuff. Texas has been down compared to the teams that can make the playoff because that's what it's about at the end of the day. It's been 15 years, you know, 16. That's not, that's not a small job. And we, we always, every year, this time of year, we get sucked into the vortex of, well, Texas should be where Alabama is and where Georgia is and all, all of that. And no, 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 you shouldn't. You shouldn't because you hadn't earned that spot. You hadn't earned that place to be considered a, a championship type of program in 16 years. So it's, it's anything else, any other business would have had even more changes than Texas has, has had. Um, so if, if Sark is the guy to start to build towards that, it's going to take quite some time. Doesn't mean you want to lose along the way, but it's going to take time. You get at least four years at a school like Texas, or you should. Uh, I personally think every staff should get four years because then in that fourth year, every guy on the field is, is, is one that you had a hand in bringing to that program. So if those are the players missing tackles and those are the players that can't execute your game plan, something's got to give. I get it. Year one, even year two, I mean, it's just, it's so hard. And we're seeing guys getting canned after year two, which is crazy to me. And, and oftentimes there's some other stuff going on. I think Jimmy Lake at Washington is, is the example. I mean, Rolo at Washington State, uh, also definitely something else going on. But it, it's like the expectation is to change it so quickly that if it doesn't happen, it's like fire everybody. And it's, uh, it's, it's just annoying. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to cover <laughs> on, on our end sometimes. So yes, it is year one. It's still in year one and a lot can and will change going forward. But if, if we're sitting here in 2020, gosh, 2024 saying the same things, of course it's, it's time to make a change, but we are quite a ways away uh, from, from that time. So you have to, you got to give it a chance. You got to give it a chance. This staff is a good staff. I don't even know how Sark is going to hold his staff year to year. And that's, that's a whole nother issue. Um, because people recognize that there's some talent on this coaching staff. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is not a time to panic. And in fact, it is far from a time to panic tweak want better. Yes. Want to see progress? Yes. Want to see better effort in the second half? Yes. All those things, yes. But panic, where it's like, I need to make a phone call to somebody who's in the know and can make things change? Not quite there yet. Well, you're not even close to, to there. And, I, and you know, it, the thing that drives me crazy about all of this, and you, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, is that, yeah, I mean, look, I run a Texas website and 
all of my readers are Texas fans. And I apologize if this offends you, but it's probably something that you've either heard or if you haven't, you need to hear. Texas fans are the most entitled fans in college football. Ooh. They think they're the almost the Dallas Cowboys fan, almost the Dallas Cowboys fans of college football. They think that every single year they should be competing for a national championship. And while that is true on the surface because of the resources of the program and the amount of money that goes into the program, things just haven't been run well lately. The last, you know, the last decade or so Mac Brown's tenure slowly declined and it was time for a change that always happens everywhere you go. It will happen everywhere you go. That's not a surprise, but then they brought in the wrong guy and Charlie strong. And then they brought in a guy who was at the time, everybody wanted Tom Herman. Texas isn't at fault for firing Tom Herman. They outbid LSU and other, other schools for Tom Herman. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a candidate at Ohio one. state. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you should be winning games and in, in championships if you're Texas, but you have to build your, like you said, you have to build yourself to the point where you deserve to play for a championship. You can't just hire a coach and expect him to, to take a very underwhelming roster to a big 12 title in year one. That's, that's irrational. That's, that's, un, that's unheard of. No one could do that. Nick Saban could not have done that this season at Texas. Do you disagree with that? I don't. So, so look, take a chill pill. Let Sark do his thing. If Lane Kiffin can turn around Ole Miss and Jimbo Fisher can turn around AM and Dave Aranda can turn around Baylor, and you know, James Franklin to his credit has done a great job at Penn State, things like that. If those programs can do that, Texas should be able to do the same thing with the right guy. And Sark is the right guy. I don't know what else needs to be said on that front. Yeah. I mean, look, (laughs) there's not much else to say. Um, You know, Texas might not win this weekend and that's fine. It still doesn't mean the sky is falling. The sun will rise and set as it always does. And Texas will, as we said earlier, probably close with a top 10 recruiting class in the first year under a completely new staff, which in and of itself, no matter who you are, is impressive. So this thing will get better. I promise it will get better. And if it doesn't in four years, then everybody who's listening to this can pop into my Twitter account at Matt underscore Galatson and say, I told you so. But until then... This is going to do it for another episode of the Longhorns Country Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, like, rate, and subscribe on all your favorite platforms. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're everywhere you find everywhere that you find your podcasts. Uh, make sure to tune into LonghornsCountry.com for all the latest news and, and updates on your Texas Longhorns. And follow John Garcia. Uh, John, drop your Twitter handle. It is John Garcia underscore Jr. And we will see you next time. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye. Bye.